moms and dads or parents who have been there, don't you just love it when you tell your children to do something and they give you this tone? And the question is, why? Why do I need to do that? Well, mom and dad, what is typically our response when we get that tone and that question? Because I told you so, right? And why? Because our word is authoritative. I mean, we, our word is the law of the house and what we say that they need to do, we expect that they're going to do that. And if they do, don't do that, then uh, guess what? We, we have uh, anarchy on our hands. Um, and it's in our children's best interest, isn't it, that they follow our word. Um, if they know what's best for them and they don't want to suffer the consequences of uh, disobedience. Well, that works pretty good while they're growing up. But, uh, you know, when, when they're an adult, when they're out on their own, um, our word isn't authoritative anymore, is it? Um, we're just basically resigned to listening and giving advice and uh, hopefully that they will uh, hear what we have to say. But uh, oftentimes um, we're more or less praying for them that uh, that they will make wise decisions as uh, they're looking at the future of their lives and that they they are listening to their heavenly father and uh, they want they want to follow their heavenly father that that doesn't always work out and uh, and sometimes you know we're we're gritting our teeth we're anxious about where they are and we just need to continue to pray and believe that uh, what has been instilled in that heart will come back and and bring them back into uh, in fellowship with where uh, we want them to be with the Lord. But we hope, we hope that one of the disciplines that they're going to take on as they grow into adulthood and take on their own families is that they're going to be in church. And they're, they're going to be leading their family, their, their wife, their spouse, their children to church. Well, this is what we see in Jesus. Um, Luke chapter 4, verses um, 31 through 37. I just want to read the first two verses to begin with. Luke says this, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Where was Jesus on the Sabbath? He was in the synagogue. And Jesus made sure that he was always, and now, now this is by faith, but I want to believe that Jesus, whenever it was the Sabbath day, Jesus found himself in the synagogue. How might we know that? Well, number one, because of Mary and Joseph's faithfulness. Uh, we, we saw Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 2. 
being consistent with with the law and, and making sure that Jesus was um, uh, brought before the t- temple after the days of purification in, in Mary's life. But uh, every Passover, Mary and Joseph would uh, be making the trek to to Jerusalem. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they brought Jesus along with them on that particular Passover year. Um, Mary and Joseph knew that they were raising the Son of God. So, hey, if you're raising the Son of God, you better be doing the right things, don't you think? And so, of course, they would have Jesus um, in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And here Jesus is beginning his ministry, and we find him find him teaching, uh, teaching the people on the Sabbath. Jesus knew how important um, the Sabbath was. And, uh, and we hope that that would be the same for our children as they, they grow up. But in terms of authority and the authority that, uh, that Jesus had, I want, us to, I want us to see two things today. Now, you don't have an outline. Well, your outline is blank, okay? So you're going to have to listen a little bit faster this morning. Write a few more things down because uh, time kind of got away from me uh, this week with the state convention. But uh, this morning, I want to focus on two things about Jesus' authority, and then we're going we're gonna to go into part two next Sunday with the final aspect of Jesus' authority. But the first thing I want you to see about Jesus' authority is his teaching. The Bible says that they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. I mean, Jesus was unlike any other speaker the Jews had ever heard. Um, typically, when Jews went to church, it was kind of dull. It was kind of dry. And the reason why it was kind of dull and dry, because they never heard an original thought. Uh, the Pharisees were always quoting their teachers. It was just a chain of quotations in um, after having read the, the Old Testament. But as they're, they're sitting there listening to Jesus, the Bible says that they are astonished because he is teaching for his word possessed authority. His word meant something, unlike any other word that they had ever heard before, because Jesus' ideas were his own ideas. He wasn't quoting from other people. He wasn't quoting, talking about other man's opinion. He was talking about what God says. Uh, We can know that. If you go back to uh, Matthew chapter 5, we won't read Matthew chapter 25, but uh, you can, in the Sermon on the Mount, starting with verse 21, um, Jesus talks about, you have heard it was said. But then he goes on to say, but I tell you. you know, this was man's opinion. This is what you've been told. But this is what God says that's the kind of authority that Jesus had as he taught. And it was clear and it was simple. People didn't leave confused. People knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. And here in 
Capernaum, they believed Jesus' words. I mean, totally opposite reaction from last week. Last, last Sabbath, Jesus was in Nazareth, his hometown, and, uh, and they didn't believe a word that he said. In fact, his, word, his words were rather offensive, and at the conclusion of that service, they wanted to kill Jesus. He went from a hero to a zero in one sermon. Now, I've never done it that bad before, but I've, you know, I think people have thought the same, same thing about me at times. But here Jesus just turns them sideways in one sermon. Why is that? Because he's just Jesus. They're listening to him. They're hearing his words and they're just thinking, hey, this is a hometown boy. We know his mom and dad. We know, we know his siblings. Who's made him Moses? And Jesus says, tells them that you're not going to hear my words because basically you're not needy for God. You're not desperate. You're not hungry for the things of God. My friend, if you want God to bless your life, if you want to hear God's voice, you got to get all the other distractions out of your life, and you need to be needy for him. Those in that synagogue service in Nazareth, they weren't there. And Jesus left that place before, um, before he was killed. Now, this is my fear today. My fear today is that you're here in this service and you're just listening to my words. Oh, that's Pastor Bill. He's just pontificating again. And and uh, you're just looking at your watch, wondering when this service is going to be over. And I, I hope that's not your desire. My desire, my prayer for us this morning is that we hear God's voice, not my voice. It's my prayer that I get out of the way. Because Jesus... Jesus' words are authoritative. Jesus' words bring life. And if you want to see the activity and blessing of God in your life, you've got to build your life on Jesus' words, not mine. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus has been sharing the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, then he says this at the conclusion of a sermon. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came And the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. My friends, we need to build our life 
on the promises, on the teachings of the word of God. Why? Because storms are going to come. Frankenstorms are going to come. Hurricane Sandys are on the way. And it's not just for the lost. It is for everybody. No one is immune from the storm. But if your life is not built on the words of Jesus, the rock, if it's built on the sand of your own philosophy, of your own desires, a storm comes, great will be its fall, your fall. But if it's on the rock, your life will withstand the storm. But storms are coming. And so Jesus' words are authoritative. They bring life. They bring blessing. And I just want to encourage you to obey those words. And please don't do this because you have to. If you're going to do this because this is what you're supposed to do, you know what? That just leads to religion, um, pride, self-righteousness. That's not to be our our motivation because we have to do this. I want to encourage you to let the gospel capture your heart. You didn't find God. God found you. God saw you as hopelessly lost when you weren't even seeking him. The Bible says he came and rescued you. He saved you. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus chose me. Jesus chose you. I was at the state convention this week, and um, Kevin Izell, the president of North American Mission Board, was speaking on on um, Monday night, and he was talking about um, the first night at home or in the Philippines after they had adopted their 13-year-old son, James. And uh, Kevin was tucking James in bed for the very first time. So it was kind of awkward tucking a 13-year-old in bed. (laughs) But uh, he'll never forget it because James was there in bed looking at his new dad's face. And Kevin says James took his face, Kevin's face, and went like this. And James did that for the longest time, and he was just staring at his dad. Well, Kevin was looking like this. Kevin finally said, James, what's wrong? And James said, I will always be a good son to you, Dad. Kevin said, I know you will, James. I want to be a good dad to you. And good night. Four o'clock in the morning, James gets up. Goes into his parents' bedroom. Wakes Kevin up. James says to Kevin, 
I will be a good son to you today, Dad. Kevin, you know, trying to get the sleep out of eyes. Well, James, I'm going to be a good son to you. And um, that happened for a few mornings. And uh, Kevin didn't know what was going on here until he was told that uh, in the orphanage, um, the children were, are expected to get up at 4 a.m., have breakfast, do their chores, so that they'll be ready for school at 6 a.m. That's their schedule. And uh, obviously, James is coming to an American culture now, and there was a bit of an adjustment. And uh, it didn't take him long to make the adjustment based on the behavior of his older siblings in the house. He learned that quickly, that he can sleep in. But, uh, but he kept telling his dad, I am going to be a good son to you. And finally, Kevin had to reassure James. He said to James, James, I will always be your dad. Yes, I want you to be a good son. But whether you're a good son or not, know this. I am always going to be your daddy. And nothing is going to change that. Church, that's the gospel. A mother and a father went to the Philippines and they chose James. When James wasn't even looking for them. The Bible says that's what God did to us. When we weren't even looking for us, God chose us, God adopted us, and called us his own. We are his children. And that is never, ever going to change. Folks, as we allow the gospel to capture our hearts, you know what? We want to go to his word. We want to, we want to hear what his word has to say. We want to build it into our life. We want our life to be on that solid rock. Now, we live in a fallen world, and there's lots of things that distract us, keep our focus off of Jesus, and we also always must always be reminded of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. But if the gospel has captured our heart, folks, when he speaks, we want to obey. His words are authoritative. His words bring life, bring blessing. The people in Nazareth, they missed it. He was just Jesus. But now he's in Capernaum, and the people are astonished. He speaks as one with authority. And because they believe, amazing things happen in this in this Sabbath service, which brings us to the second point. Jesus' authority over demons. There's authority in his teaching. There's authority over demons. Now, how appropriate that we are talking about demons on the eve of uh, Halloween, all right? But uh, I'm not going to go into a, a lot about demonology today. Uh, there's going to be plenty of opportunity as we go through the book of Luke. 
As you read the book of Luke, demons are mentioned on 23 different occasions. Uh, 14 times uh, in the first uh, nine chapters. It is a significant subject. Do I believe that demons are for real? Absolutely. And Jesus was um, faced with his opposition constantly. And as we're going to see, Satan's influence, it's everywhere. We've talked a little bit about this uh, when uh, Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. But uh, there are three things that work against God's ways in this world. Number one is Satan. Number two is our own fleshly desires, the Bible says in James chapter 2. And then number three, there is a world system that is diabolically uh, opposed to truth. And we see this all over the place. We see this in our own American culture where uh, there's a world system who wants to suppress the truth and is, is trying to squelch the voice of the church more and more. You go into Muslim countries, they're suppressing the truth. If they, they're aware of Christians in their community, um, they want to rid themselves of that Christian influence by, by killing and, and uh, persecuting believers. There is a world system out there that is diabolically opposed to the truth and suppressing it in every way possible. And if you want to know more about Satan, his influence and where he's come from, there's basically four chapters of scripture that uh, you can go to. One is in Isaiah chapter 14. Second is in Ezekiel chapter 28. Third is in Genesis chapter 3. And then Ephesians chapter 6. And those four chapters give you an overall, a good overall perspective of um, Satan and uh, how he has uh, come about. But uh, here in this passage of scripture, let me go back to Luke chapter 4 because I haven't read verses uh, 33 through 37. Let's do that now. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried, cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst He came out of him, having done him no harm, and they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Here is a a man who is demon-possessed. Um, was this person a believer? I don't think so. 
Because believers, followers of God, I don't believe can be possessed by the devil. Can they be oppressed? Absolutely. But can they be possessed, totally controlled by him? Not if they're a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But here's a man in a synagogue service, church, okay, before the church came about. And he is demon-possessed and with authority. And not shouting or anything of this nature, we see um, Jesus' power over this demon. He basically tells this demon, be silent and come out of him. And the demon obeys. Now, I don't want to get into that any deeper at, at this at this point, but what I want to talk about this morning is how do people become possessed or oppressed uh, by demons? I mean, that's a question that uh, a lot of people ask. And I just want to... Sh- share this analogy with us this morning. Um, you know, the Bible talks about our our lives uh, as houses. We're, we're a temple of God, but we're a house. And, uh, <clears throat> and the enemy, whether it's through our fleshly desires or Satan himself, the enemy wants to come into our house. And uh, he wants to oppress us, or if you're not a, a believer in Jesus, he wants to possess you. I remember this, um, we had a little boy on our street. His name was uh, Chase. Wasn't a demon, okay? <laughs> Just a good little boy. Chase would come to our house occasionally. Uh, he'd be selling something through for school, or uh, he'd be returning something that his parents had borrowed or, or something. And when he came to our house... He would always look through the door. Now, we had this this door that had this kind of artistic oval glass in the middle of the door. And he was tall enough to where he could, you know, see through the glass. But in order to see through the glass, it was cut glass. Okay? So he would have to put his eyeball literally on the cut glass to see, you know, if anybody's coming to the door or, you know, what people are doing in the house. And you could always, you always knew when it was Chase because there was his little eyeball. You know what? That's Satan. Not Chase, but Satan is wanting to look for ways to come into our house. He's looking for that invitation. And folks, the way we are possessed or oppressed by the enemy is that we invite him into our lives. And if we want to keep the enemy at bay, we better learn how to close our doors and shut our windows. Who in here goes to bed at night with the door, doors off the hinges and their windows wide open at night? Nobody. When we go to bed, guess what? We're, we're shutting everything down, aren't we? <clears throat> Several years ago when my wife was um, up north helping care for her parents, um, I was on the phone with her one evening and uh, the kids and I were in the 
family room. We were watching TV, and I was on the phone with her. And, um, uh, well, before, before that phone call, I had a screen on my window that needed to get fixed. You know, that little rubber thing around the, the, the frame had kind of come out of its track, and so the screen had kind of come loose. And so, you know, the window was kind of exposed to the outside, but I hadn't fixed it. Well, that night when I was uh, talking to Susan on the phone, all of a sudden I looked on the carpet, and there was a snake slivering, slithering across the carpet. And I said, oh, my gosh, a snake in the phone hung up. <laughs> well, before I hung up, she heard all the kids scream in the background. And I hung up. And here we were all freaking out in our family room, uh, you know, because of the snake. I didn't know what kind of snake it was. And uh, we had to eventually call somebody and come over and capture this snake. I wasn't going to touch that snake. Didn't know what kind of snake that was. And uh, got it out of the house. How did that snake get into that house? It was because of that screen, window screen. It kind of crawled up the plant that was outside the screen. And it, it was a gopher snake. But uh, And then it slithered, slithered into the house. Who knows how long that snake had been there. But that's what the enemy does. If we give him an opportunity, he's going to make himself at home in our life, and we are going to be oppressed by him. How, how, do, I, how do we keep our doors, our windows open to his influence? I'll give you a few. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Uh, laziness, pornography. You know, I could go on and on with the list this morning, but I'd rather tell you a story. There was this mall, and there was a pet store in this mall. And as a form of advertisement, the pet store owner would put this parrot uh, out in front of the pet store while everybody was walking by. And, and uh, this pet parrot could talk, and it would attract people's attention, and they would come in to see what's in this pet store. Well, this one day, this parrot was having a bad day. It didn't have anything good to say. And this parrot was just kind of looking at all the shoppers going through the mall. And finally, it laid its eyes on this one couple. And he just kind of looked at him as this couple came right in front of this pet store. And then the parrot said, hey, you know what? And the guy says, what? The parrot says, you're fat and your wife is ugly. I couldn't believe what he'd heard. He went up to that parrot, gave him a piece of his mind. He went into the owner, told him what had happened. The pet store owner came out, grabbed that parrot, took that parrot to the back room. He read it the right act and uh, said, listen, if you don't shape up, buddy, you are going to become like your distant cousins in my freezer at home. And uh, took that parrot back and set it out on its perch out on the, the store, uh, out in front of the store. A parrot was in a bad mood. And he didn't say anything until he saw that couple walking back this way. 
And that parrot looked at them, gave him the stink eye, and said, Hey, you know what? And that guy said, What? Parrot says, You know what? <laughs> you know what? You know what? Opens up the windows and the doors of your life that allows the influence of Satan and his demons into your life. You want victory? You want freedom from the oppression, from the lies of this world? My friends, you got to shut the doors. You got to close the windows. And you've got to listen to the promises of his word. If you will choose to be like the, the people of Capernaum who are astonished at Jesus' teaching and you will fall, that you will fall in love with the gospel. Not try to do this on your own, but fall in love with Jesus and be desperate for him. Say, Jesus, I need you to set me free. And you go to his word daily and believe. You will find freedom. You will see God do amazing things in your life. And we're going to get into that next week when we talk about the kingdom and what Jesus did beyond this this portion of scripture here. But believe. If you go to Nazareth today, they rejected Jesus. If you go to that city today, 70% of that population in Nazareth is Muslim. Why? Because they rejected Jesus 2,000 years ago. This morning as I was um, getting ready for this message, um, Pastor Payton sent me something from John Piper that I think is very appropriate as we conclude this this, um, message this morning. Some practical application to help you Close the doors and shut the windows, okay, and live in victory. It's an acronym. The acronym is A-P-T-A-T. A, write these down. Acknowledge your inability to do this yourself. My friends, you can't resist the devil. Draw near to God, the Bible says, and he will draw near to you. You need to acknowledge your inability and your absolute dependence on Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So A, acknowledge your inability. P, pray for divine enablement. God, you do this through me. You help me love this person that I resent or I can't forgive. You do this through me. Pray for divine enablement. T, trust God's 
promises. Live by faith. Don't live in the flesh. A, act in obedient to God's word. Act in obedience to God's word in the power of the spirit. My friend, don't do this in the flesh. Again, it will only lead to self-righteousness. But if you want the fruit of the spirit in your life, you've got to depend on the Holy Spirit. So act in obedience to God's word through the power of his spirit. Then T, thank God for whatever good comes your way. Give him the glory. I just want to encourage you to start off your way doing those things. Believe his promises and see God do amazing things in your life. Let's pray. Where is it, my friend, that Jesus Jesus doesn't have the victory? And you've given the enemy an open door invitation. And you are being oppressed by him constantly. You don't have to be. You know what? You know what you need to do. By faith and obedience, would you choose to obey? God in his spirit right now is telling you to do this. And you're asking why. And Jesus is saying, because I told you so. Allow me to be the authority in your life. Jesus, I thank you for this time in your word. I pray that, God, we would not be just going through the motions, waiting for this service to be over with, but, God, that we would do business with you, that we would not hear my words, but yours. That we would believe. God, I want to pray for some prodigal children in our service this morning with parents just at the end of themselves, not knowing what to do. God, I pray that you just help them to continue to love unconditionally, not enable poor behavior, but like the father in the prodigal's life, continue to sit on that doorstep, on that porch, waiting for them to come home. And God, in your sovereignty, 
and your power. I pray that you would just cause circumstances in these prodigals' lives to get their attention and point their eyes to Jesus. I know there are some miracles that have happened recently in some of those prodigals' lives. And God, you are still in the miracle-making ministry. God, may we believe you for the impossible because you are the God of the impossible. But we must trust your promises. Lord, may we see you do amazing things in our homes, in our families, in our church. Because we choose to believe you. In Christ's name. Amen.